Uh, there's lots of questions. Does this sort of telling the gospel work anymore? I think over the centuries, every generation, we try to get our handle on, on how best to do following Jesus. And one thing that stood out for decades now, and Franklin Graham said it the other night, just a simple declaration, no mincing words, this is the power of the gospel, and it brings life to your life. And months ago I thought, I want to get involved, I want to see it with my eyes. I want to be a part of this and not just sit in the background observing and make ignorant kind of, ignorant as in comments when I don't actually know. You know, you know that? We can all be guilty of having an opinion about something and we don't actually know or have understanding. It's the height of ignorance actually and arrogance in some ways, but hey, we're human and that's what we do. But I wanted to be able to have an, an educated opinion on what does this look like. And so it's been a privilege for me over, over the last months to be a part of that. And so what I'm going to talk about today is a little fraction of the Christian Life and Witness course. So over the months we've been running, and we had one here one night, here at Vineyard, we uh, ran what's called the Christian Life and Witness course. And it's, it's helping people to get a grasp, remind us of what the gospel is, the power that it has in our life, and also what we can do with that. How do we tell others about the fact that of who Jesus is, what he has done, not just in our life, but what he's done in the world and for the world. So the Christian Life and Witness course was training in that in the lead up to this event. And so what I thought we, I would do this morning when it comes to preaching is we're going to go through a little bit of that. Because I found it a blessing to me to, to be reminded of this stuff. This stuff that we kind of know and then we go and get busy in our lives and dealing with our stuff and realise that we can very easily depart from the, uh, allowing and inviting the power of the truth of God and the Holy Spirit to, to have effect in our lives. I don't know about you, but I find it very easy that I can just get busy and focused in doing life and can almost lose a little bit of connection with the fact that God is, is imminent in my every day and every moment and he is keen to be a part he sees me, he sees us and what we're doing, and he is ready to be involved. So I thought we'd just dig into that. What's up on this? Let's go for it, Bo. Um, we're going to kick off with a story. This, is an, this story is in the book of Acts. It's the story of Philip in the book of Acts. I think it's Acts chapter 8, it's kicking off from verse 26 to 38, if you've got your Bibles, or it's going to be up on the screen. This story sets up or frames up, really, the normal Christian life, and it's an invitation. It's included here. This actually happened in history, and we can see in Africa, not so, you know, we can see particularly in the Egyptian and the, the Coptic church and the, the, the effects of this particular story. This is his, an historical account of someone who was a disciple of Jesus. His name was Philip. Let's go. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise, go towards the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went. First point. Angel says, Go. Doesn't make a lot of sense. He got up and went. Obedience. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. Sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go near, overtake his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you were reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come and sit with him. Now the place in scripture where he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. 
In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this part of scripture, preached Jesus to him. I just want to pause there a moment. I think it's significant that he says, and then Philip opened his mouth. I asked a friend of mine a little while, only a few weeks back, about what was the gospel, how do you share the gospel, and their opinion, their idea was that, well, we just ooze Jesus. People get a taste of heaven and who Jesus is by being around us. This is a very, very prevalent opinion of Christians these days. I'm going to live a good life. And we've got scriptures to... I'm not saying this is wrong. This is, it's real. We stand out by the way that we conduct ourselves. I, I backed that. I said, okay, but tell me what is actually the good news? And it was, well, it's just... That was the word they used. It oozes from us. I wanted to say... Well, I did say that's... I think it's more than that. Here... Philip opened his mouth and he what? He preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. (laughs) Oh, I forgot where I am. Here we are. What's stopping me from being baptised? Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptised him. So, Philip opens his mouth and preached Jesus. What did he say? What were the things that Philip said? I don't know, wouldn't you love to get you be there and just kind of put the phone on the edge of the chariot and record? What he said? I'll tell you one thing, whatever he preached, whatever he said to that man, that man came to the conclusion that it's Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Whatever he preached to him, that man also got it pretty clear in his head that baptism is a very important part of declaring a commitment to God. Jesus went around saying it, repent and believe the kingdom of heaven is here. Repent, be baptised. This is a very, the gospel is very, very simple. We can really overcomplicate not only the gospel but our own lives because we can lose, dis, we can start to disconnect or we start to get wobbly as the church. And when I say the church, I'm talking about the community of people who call themselves Christians. What is the gospel? What is the good news that is the power for salvation of everyone who believes? Is it for everyone? Is it of everyone? What's stopping me from being baptised? What, anyone can just go and dunk in? No. Philip says, if you believe what? With all your heart, go for it. So it's like the opportunity, the gate is wide open, but it's very small. And Jesus said that, actually, didn't he? I think it's in Matthew chapter 7, something like that. He said, enter through the narrow gate. Because wide is the gate and broad the road that leads to destruction and many travel on it, Jesus said. Many, most people, that's their path of life leading to destruction. But he said, small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. The gate is small. That's what Franklin Graham preached the other day. Doesn't matter the nature of your sin. Doesn't matter. We're all in that boat. We are all on the road. But you can find freedom. You can find life through that small gate. And that gate is Jesus. It's not just a concept. It's not just the name. It's the person of Jesus. It's the man, Jesus of Nazareth, hanging on a cross, bleeding out. This is it. God uses the simple things of this world to shame the wise and learned very easily. And think about, I'm, I'm speaking like this because we, including, we can overcomplicate things. 
What does it mean to be a Christian? Oh, well, you go to church, you know, like we, we add all of this stuff. Oh. Sometimes we make it extremely hard. And Jesus said only few find it. I wonder if he was saying only few find the gate because all the Christians actually make it really difficult for people to find the gate because we put all these hoops and ideas and religious stuff. Like if we really think, I'm in this boat, if we really think about how we answer people or how we share our lives with people, how defensive we get when people in their just uncertainty or not knowing, start to challenge. It's the first thing we talk about. And Franklin Graham, I love this, he said, the message is God loves you. That's the starting point. Sin is sin. He doesn't mince words with that. Sin is sin, but it's just sin. And before the cross, before the, whatever it was that Philip preached to this Ethiopian person of great power and influence, done, cleansed. Anyway, I better keep going because I'm getting preachy. I've got to get teachy today. Preachy and teachy. Let's look. Bo's going to try and keep up with me. All the best, Bo, because I can go like this. But anyway... The effective Christian life. So, so we're going to explore today what is the effective Christian life. Not just a person who lives long enough and then dies, as we all do. Not just someone who calls themselves a Christian. How do we be effective? In Australia, we can just go ahead and just live. And the same as the generations before us and we are the generation before others. Go through, continue to exist and eventually something stops and we're finished. How do we live an effective Christian life? Let's look at the qualities found in Philip. He was a person with good reputation and he was filled with the spirit and wisdom. He was full of faith. Philip's life witnessed to Christ. So our lives should demonstrate that we know Christ. That's a good start. The Holy Spirit was vitally involved in Philip's life and ministry. We see that because Philip had ears to God. In this case, it was an angel came and said, go and do this. I don't know what Philip was doing, but his lifestyle was one where there was room and space for him to hear God. Now, I have been up until tomorrow working four part-time jobs to keep things ticking along in my life. Four jobs keeps me extremely busy. Before I took that fourth job, I used to have Mondays and I would get the kids to school and then I would often go and just have a cup of coffee, read the paper. I've discovered as I've gotten older, I like that, that simple. I never used to read the paper, but for me now, the, just the reading the paper, sipping on a coffee, that is my happy place. But in that, as I would do that, I, I got in the habit of talking to the Lord about the stuff that I was reading too. We had a great time. But I would, my, my prayer to the Lord was, God, you can see how um, financially I'm kind of going backwards here. I need another job. The Lord said to me, you know, if you get this other job, you won't have this time anymore. And I said, uh, I do know that and I'm aware of that, but I think I need the money. Could he get me another job? Bingo. <laughs> Within weeks I get a phone call and so I'm working this job. My life has been f so flat out that finding space, or I shouldn't say finding Making space and room to sit and be quiet and be open to the Lord is diminished. Whatever Philip's life was like, whatever the effective Christian life needs to be, is that we need to be able to hear God when he speaks. If we're flat out or the issues of our lives are so loud in our spirit, we can't hear God's solutions. Now, God has his, God's agenda is to save the world that every single person on the world would hear about Jesus. Jesus said to his disciples, go. They didn't. His, his people, the 72, the wider group, he said, go. And he blessed them with the Holy Spirit and they were to go. And then he went up into the clouds. He's gone. The angels said, what? What are you looking in the sky before? This same Jesus is going to come back just as you've seen him gone. Jesus is going to literally come out of the clouds. The time is coming when we will see that. I don't know how that everybody, I don't know, I don't, I could, we could discuss that another time, how that's going to happen. 
But the time is coming. And he said, go into all the world. The disciples didn't, you know. They just kept hanging out in Jerusalem, enjoying being church. So what God allowed to happen was for when Stephen preached the gospel of Jesus, that the crowd, the enemies went crazy and they killed him. And that freaked all the Christians out. And so they took off in fear. God used their fear and their freak out to get them to do what he called them to do in the first place. Listen to me. Hear the principles of what God's doing. Sometimes the... Oh, I've got to be careful. Don't swear when you're preaching. Sometimes the, the circumstances of life push us into a place where God's been asking us to come to for ages. He calls us into and he's going. I was speaking to someone just last night. He's been work going over to India and he was talking about in this particular community India, in India, they, they are killed. 30% of Christians are murdered for their faith. But they are training up, training up, and they are missionaries. They go out with the expectation, this is going to cost me my life. But that's the idea, is that God buys the rights to our life using his blood of his son. You get it? So we belong to God. Stay on script. So Philip's life reflected that, and he understood scripture. So that when he's walking along beside the Ethiopian, he's listening. He's heard God speak. He's listening, using his ears. He's going, oh, I understand that. Do you understand that? No. Could you help me? Sure. Hear that? So to live an effective Christian life, next one, Bo. To live an effective Christian life, uh, let's keep going, next one, requires two things we're going to look at today. Two things. Grasping God's word, that is the Bible. Philip had an understanding of the word of God so that he knew how it had applied to the moment. So that when when the man asked, what does this mean? He wasn't all of a sudden, I don't know. He knew. Why? Because he understood scripture. So as to be an effective Christian, to live an effective life, Not even just as a witness, but just to get by in our life. It's about holding in one hand God's word and grasping God's hand. Let's keep moving. Grasping God's word and having a good grasp of God's word is a foundation for being able to grasp God's hand. Because God has revealed himself primarily in Jesus, but God's revealed himself to the world in many ways. The Bible talks about the, na- the, the nature around us. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they speak. They pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language in the world where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the world. Their words to generation after generation. God has revealed himself. People look for evidence. With our Western mindset, we're going, I can't see any evidence of God. The Bible says it's out there, people. And he uses the simple things to shame those wise and learned so that it can be available for everyone. You don't have to go to Bible college. You don't have to go. There's no hoops in order to grasp, to understand God. You can increase in learning and study is good. But in terms of understanding God, no. My goodness, I get so sidetracked. That's all right. It's good stuff though. Hey, scripture. Grasping God's word. Thank you, Bo. All right. There are five ways. We want to make this as simple as possible. So there are five ways to be able to grasp God's word. And the first is hearing. That's good. So then faith comes from hearing the word and hearing by the word of God, Romans chapter 10, verse 17. But we understand that we only actually retain at best 10% of what we hear. You know, people going around with their podcast, I reckon young children retain a lot more than 10% because I cannot believe how well my children pick up the lyrics of songs. I have to really work hard to retain. We only retain about 10% of what we hear. It's interesting, isn't it? All the preachers go... Preachers should stay optimistic and hopeful because the fact is that everyone that that heard them speak that Sunday have lost it by 
probably Monday. What did he preach on yesterday? <laughs> I don't know. And what do we say when someone says, what did you preach on? We come up with just like something. I don't even think it's 10%. But studies suggest that we retain only about 10% of what we hear when we hear the word of God. That's provided the preacher preaches the word of God. We have got a... Can I say, I believe, and I'm a part of the church, but we have an anemic, weak, flimsy body of Christ. Let's keep going. (laughs) Reading. If we want to retain and hold on to the word of God, it requires that we're opening it. I, I, I use a Bible app, but it is dangerous for me. When I was in grade two, three, four, five, pretty much all my reports when I was a little kid, it said, David is easily distracted and in turn distracts others. This is my standard thing. It's part of my personality. I am still like that. And the enemy uses that every day trying to get me. Easily distracted, especially when all the chores need to be done at home. If you use the Bible app, how quick does a little notification come up? Oh, we are so easily distracted. I like to get my hands on the Bible that I didn't even bring today. (laughs) But opening the Bible and reading the Bible, if we're going to retain the Word of God and if we're going to grasp it, we have to be reading it. Next one, please, Bo. My son, if you receive my words, treasure my commands within you. You can go to the next one, Bo. So that you incline your ear to wisdom. Listen to all the action parts of this. They're highlighted in red. Incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart. Yes, if you can cry out for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. In other words, God, help me. I don't understand this. What does this mean for my life today, Lord? If you lift up your voice, you seek her as silver. It's personifying understanding and wisdom. Seek her as silver. Search for her as hidden treasures. Oh, I nearly got distracted then. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Studying the word. A sustained, diligent study. Yesterday, uh, my son turned nine on the 3rd of February, but yesterday we had a pirate party, all right? And so, and one of the games, I was in charge, I, I, I dressed up as a pirate. I'm not into fancy dress, but yesterday I got it on. And um, I've got the, I, no, I can't wear it now, but it, it was a great costume. One of the games was I buried, you know those gold coin chocolate things? The chocolate's disgusting, right? But well played put it in gold coins and I buried a bucket of that in in the garden and one of the games was they had to x marks the spot find the treasure you should have seen them go at it going for buried treasure going for hidden treasure they went hard these kids are all crowded around they're tearing away at the dirt with their hands it was funny because they were like this far from it just to the left and they couldn't find it (laughs) anyway You should have seen him go. And that's what he's saying there. Search as like it's hidden treasure. There's treasure down there. Absolute treasure. It's in the word. Next one, please, Bo. Memorise. I'll tell you why it's hidden treasure is because when we memorise scripture, when we read it, we sit on it and we memorise it and we play it over and in our minds, we retain 100% of that. Evidence of that is that... um, some months ago in one of my daily readings, my standard morning as I try to, is I get up and I go out and have a glass of water, put the, cup, put the kettle on, make a cup of tea, and then I'll go and get my little Spurgeon notes in my Bible and I'll just try and sit on that for a while. The earlier I get up, the better, because my children aren't awake yet. Um, I hear that first door open and I hear this glorious little, hey, Dad, and that's my son, and I know that my time is done. <laughs> So get up early for me. And this one particular morning in my devotion, it, it, the scripture, it has like a verse, and it just was perfect for what I needed on the day. I was in some trouble. I had some stuff going on for me. But this scripture said this. It's a, it's a word from God to his prophet, and he said to Isaiah, and he says, I am with you, and I will go before you. 
Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. No, it doesn't. I'm getting their order wrong. This is, see what happens when you memorize? So called. I will be with you and I will go before you. You, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Because <sighs> I, was, I was afraid. I, I was experiencing some anxiety of stuff that I was expecting to go on that day. And that verse came to me and I went, I, that's not just for today, that's for every day of my life. So I worked to memorise it. And for, so for the next week, and I could break it down, there's six things there. Six things. Four promises from God, two do nots. I memorised that verse. And I am, I'll tell you, almost every day the Lord is using that because it is so ingrained in my spirit. The Lord is using his word to remind me of who I am. When I'm freaking out, I, like I'm under, at the moment, some pretty significant threat in one aspect of my life. And that verse is just like a clanging symbol in my ear. I will go before you and I am with you. I'm never going to leave you, nor will I forsake you. Four rich promises. And then the therefore, the consequence of those promises. Don't be afraid and don't be discouraged. Powerful. Powerful when you sit on that. And the next one, please, Bo, is meditation. And meditation comes from that memorising. This is what I, this is, before, like, thank you, Lord. Blessing. Fall upon our lives, Lord. Thank you for the rain. Thank you for the truth of your scripture, Lord. I pray for all of us here today, myself included, that you would just grind this into our spirits, Lord, the power of meditation upon your word. And I pray that you would invest your word deep in our hearts that we would not let go and that we would apply our, your word to our everyday lives, Lord, so that we can stand on our feet, so that we can take up the helmet of salvation, Lord, knowing that we are protected so that we can wear that breastplate of righteousness, Lord, so that we understand how to use the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, Lord. Bless me and my friends. I pray that you would help us to meditate and to get your Word in our hands and in our hearts so that we can live not just effective lives, but so that we can stand as human beings and come into the fullness of the potential that you've invested to us. Because, folks, that is what God... Is, that's why Jesus came, is so that we, every one of us, could, be, could live out our unique and God-blessed potential. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about, that we would know God. When we memorise and then meditate, and meditation is chewing, it's like chewing like those cows. Ruminating, isn't that what they call it? Ruminating on the cud? When we do that with scripture, and there's plenty in scripture that talks about uh, the word being like food, where we ruminate, chew on that. For me, it's that, that, that verse in Isaiah. Think about what that means to my life today. Don't be discouraged when I get knocked back from something. I've made a proposal uh, in my work as a school chaplain. I made a proposal on Friday. I'm waiting to see the outcome. But you get knocked back. You get denied, you go for jobs and you get knocked back. Bobby knows this better than anyone. And he's not discouraged, he keeps going. God bless Bobby with a job. Amen to that. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. This is what God's word says to us. And if we can apply it to our life, then we'll find that we actually do live the life that people think we should be pretending to live. After a while, we won't need to pretend that we've got it all together. We will just have it all together. Does that make sense? Yeah, this is good. This is good stuff. All right. The second aspect, let's keep going, has to do with grasping God's hand. We grasp God's word, and grasping God's hand involves cultivating a relationship of complete dependence on God. There are five principles on dependence on God. Now, let me just preface this with a thing. 
In our world, it's easy to not depend on God. In Australia, we've got a job, most of us have jobs. If we don't, the government provides benefits. We can get by, we can get by without having anything to do with God in our lives. But if we are going to grasp God's hand and learn to walk through our life with a grip on who we are, and that's how we understand. I read this morning, John 15, Jesus is talking about being, we are the vine, he is the vine, we are the branches. And we stay connected to draw from his spirit. And he says, says, abide in me. Abide in me. In other words, sit in me. That's like grasping God's hand here. And he said, Anything, anyone that doesn't abide in me is like a branch that's useless. You cut those things off and burn them. He's talking about believers there, folks. We wither because we lose or we choose not to hold on to the hand of God. And so this is saying cultivating. There's a doing word. We cultivate a lifestyle of complete dependence on God. And I am convinced, even as I look at my life, is that the Lord allows me and even draws me into experiences that are out of my depth so that I have to cry out so that I would be what? Completely dependent on him for everything. Let's go through this quickly. Part of what it is to to hold God's hand is our understanding of God, and that is that God is sovereign. He knows everything. He plans everything. He is all-powerful. Now, let's go back to that story of Philip, right? Was it complete coincidence that the guy happened to, read, happened to be reading the book of Isaiah where it talks about Jesus? Was that complete fluke? No way. Isn't it amazing? I, I love thinking about the logistics of this sort of stuff. Somehow God worked out, he made a plan that Philip, wherever he was over here, I need to give him a day and a half's notice to get down to that road because the Ethiopian, he's going to stop here, he's going to catch up with mates in Jerusalem when he, people are going to want to grab you know, him. So, oh, he's going to be delayed a little while. God, I'm telling you, I don't know if you know, if we live our lives with eyes wide open, you will see, you'll be amazed at the... Okay, I'll tell you a quick story. I don't know if I told you this. Oh, it's a year ago. Today, 12 months ago today at the prayer summit, I was coming back from the prayer summit, right? And I was coming um, in the months leading up before that. I had an idea for a job, but I needed to, the next step towards a job, this particular position, I needed to speak with this person. This was a person who I believe God had said, you need to speak with that guy. So I'm like, all right, I kind of know him, but I don't know his number. I'm not sure how to do that. And then I left it for a while. His name is Tim. I need to see Tim. That's the next step is to have a conversation with Tim. All right, that's it. Didn't think about it for a while. Last year, coming back from prayer summit, right, I go into Sydney Airport. Are you anyone familiar with Sydney Airport? You kind of go in there and you go through the doors and it's a big, long walk down to the gate. And right inside the first little gate... Um, you know, barrier, there's some toilets. And I, I was like an hour, I had an hour and a half to wait for my flight. So I go and I look at the toilets, this is my thoughts, like, oh, I don't need to go now, I'm all right. I'll um, go and have a cup of coffee and I'll, get, I'll go just before I get on the plane. Welcome to the inner thoughts of Dave's toilet circumstances. Don't need to go, I'm doing all right. So I walk up and I'm walking along, it's probably another 50 metres and... By the time I get to the other end, I'm like, there's another set of toilets. I'm like, I think I need to go. I need to go to the loo. So I go into the loo, right? You don't need to understand what happens next. But on my way out, I'm walking along and there's a bloke in front of me and he's wearing a backpack and he's got a pair of pluggers sort of jammed in the little thing. I'm like, that's cool. I'm walking behind this guy on the way out of the toilets to the hand washing area and he just sort of turns and looks like this. And I'm like, I know that guy. That's Tim. And, and I, I just made some smart aleck comment because we're mates and we, we do that. And, I, and he turns around 
I said something like, Are you gonna, aren't you going to wash your hands, mate, or something like that. He turns around, he's like, hey, we give each other a hug, we're shaking hands, and, we're, and people are looking at us, and we're like, nah, this is what we do. We, before we wash our hands, we embrace. And people are just like, what's going on? This was the guy I needed to speak to. You couldn't plan that. And, but he was arriving. He was arriving to go and speak at a church in Sydney as I was departing. And we went into the same toilet place. And he was in a hurry, so I walked with him back to the gate and I gave him a quick download of, of what we needed to talk about and we made up, made up a plan. But it were, oh, by the way, we washed our hands. And then it carried on. That's God's sovereignty. I was so pumped that God had lined that up. At precisely the right time of his flight arriving, I was an hour and more early. Do you know this stuff? Every single day, and God is sovereign. I couldn't have set that up. And this was a plan that I had not thought about for some months, but God has never forgotten. He's got an agenda. He's got an agenda, and nothing is wasted. By the way, we organised that meeting, and I had a chat to Tim, and there was no chance. The, the job can't happen. So I was like... God, I don't understand because you obviously set up that meeting, but literally nothing came of it. Okay. I trust that you have not forgotten. God's sovereignty is a key point. Next one. That's good. For it is God who works in us to will and to act for his good pleasure. You can just write the scriptures down. And then that means you've got to go back and read it later. God works in us to will and to act according to his good plan. In his sovereignty, he is the boss. And he completely, he gives control of our lives to us so that we can turn and go, I trust you in control, I trust you. And let dead set, I saw that a year ago, just walking along, doing my thing. And God arranged an eternal encounter. I call those eternal encounters in the typically temporal world. Eternity breaks in and we're just living it. The world is temporal. We're all getting older. Let's keep going. Our lives are a testimony to holding on as the Lord's. The Holy Spirit, therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Don't be filled with wine. Don't be filled with any other addiction. Don't be filled with, with career. Don't be filled with anything. That means that, we, that draws us away from being 100% dependent on God. That's what that scripture is saying. Be filled with the Spirit. Next one. Oh, here we are. Grasping the scriptures. One said before. The helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, let's, uh, what's the next slide say, Bo? Okay, go back one, please. The word of God. Now, I want to talk about that word, word there. The word that's used for the word there, there's two different words used for the word, word. Can you keep up? That sounds weird to me. The first is logos. In the beginning, in John, John, it says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That word there is logos in the Greek, and it's talking about, as we know, the Son of God. It's where Jesus is the Word of God. Jesus is the expression of God. When God speaks, it's the, through the Son. Ooh, that's a whole other, that's a, that's a weekend of teaching just on that. But that... So that's the word logos. Now, the, the concept of logos has to do with the Bible as a whole, if we contextualise it to this particular scripture. The logos is, if you like, the whole of the scriptures, the Bible. But that's, in this one here, there's another word for word, and it's, it's, it's re, rima. Hang on, let me get that right. I want to get that right. Rima or Rhema, R-E-I-M-A. And that has, that has the concept of being almost like a, a, a sword. It's talking about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. But it's like a, um, you know, in those the sword fight movies, I love the Princess Bride, Anigo Montoya fighting, and, and they've got the, like the, 
little, it's not the big broadsword like in Braveheart. This is like a thrust and parry sword, and it, it, you just get right in there. It's a stabbing sword, right? And, it's, and, and, and using that sword, it, they're the ones where, I like, and Robin Hood, you know, they're backwards and forwards and doing all of this, and next thing, whoa, that one got him. That's the concept here. The word of God means a scripture. Understanding the scripture, that is just the right scripture for that purpose. That's what the Lord did for me that day. Isaiah something or other. Those six points was a word that God got me there. And, and sometimes if we're walking with the Lord and we have a grip on the word of God, then he gives us a lot of tools so that when he speaks to us in any given circumstance, he will remind us of a scripture, a particular word, a thrust word that's like, thank yes, a word in season. And sometimes that's what happened for Philip. He was able to preach to that Ethiopian because he understood the word and he was able to use that to preach to the man. Everything in the Christian life is by faith. It's impossible to please God without faith. Next one, please, Bo. By faith, I believe that God has a sovereign will for my life. By faith, I believe it's better than what I can come up with. By faith, I yield my life to him, not knowing what his will is. By faith, I surrender to the Holy Spirit. By faith, I quote the word of God. Everything is by faith. Everything for the Christian is by faith. And it says that. Righteousness, this righteousness from God is by faith from first to last, beginning and end. The, the effective Christian life is someone who lives by faith. Next one. This is the final kind of little stage that I want to get to today. But there's the concepts. We've looked at the concepts of um, grasping God's word and grasping God's hand every minute of every day. And so we walk through life with our, our word deep within our heart as we understand the Bible. We not just know verses, we understand how that applies to the world around us. But we are ready and we are open like Philip was to be able to hear God speak when the time was right. And then he obeyed. There's a key point. Philip obeyed and went and did as he was told. There are two ways to live. And some of you might go, oh, that raised a little bell of that little training we used to do, God's thing when we're talking to unbelievers about two ways to live. The victorious Christian life is God's way versus man's way. Next one, please, Bo. And again. So if we're going to live a victorious Christian life, so it's effective and it's victorious, the fact of there being a victory means suggests that there's been a fight. There's something that we've had to overcome. All right? How would you be if you're at the Olympics, or anyone was at the Olympics? Imagine that they get up there and are ready to go. Guys, at the start of the 100 metres, he's the only one standing there. So you got the gold medal, mate. There you go. Don't, don't bother running. You win. How's that person feeling? I mean, personally, I'm glad I got the gold medal, but I'm going to keep that thing in the drawer because I have no story about that gold medal. There's no story of me winning by ten hundredths of a second. You need to have the story, don't we? So a victorious Christian life means that there's been a struggle, but we have overcome, and the scriptures are full of that concept of hanging in there, the, the put on the full armour of God, Paul says in Ephesians. Why would we need armour if we're not going to be under attack? Just living and if we're going to have an effective life means we, there's stuff coming at us, people. We don't need to be surprised when the stuff happens in our life, when it all comes down. Because God has equipped us to be able to endure. Endurance produces perseverance and perseverance produces character and character hope and hope does not disappoint us the bible says hope does not disappoint us so to live a victorious christian life often the opponent is our own nature if we're living god's way we can live it's an opportunity to live a life of peace real peace the bible describes it as a peace that passes understanding 
And the, thank you, Bo. Keep, keep ripping along. There we go. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because why? He trusts in you. It's a perfect peace to the person whose mind is always fixed on God. We're always, if we're not always thinking about God, of course, we've got to think about other things in our, in our everyday lives, but we are open to God. So peace is a natural outworking for living life that is God's way. Secondly, it, there's a sense of joy. Now, it's not happiness. Joy is different, though, linked to happiness. Isn't that all right? And what is the one thing that people say on the TV, if you ask what people are wanting for their lives, what do we most often get? Happiness. I just want life to be happy. I just want my kids to be happy. I just want to be happy. People saying, you know what? I'm going to live for me now. It's all about me. I'm going to be happy. I've been doing stuff for other people all my life. That's my turn, you know. Just watch rubbish TV. That's what people are doing. I just want to be happy. Happiness, what a load of tripe. Happiness is an emotion. It is here and then gone. It's like sadness. It's like fear. We don't live in that place of fear or fright. We don't live in that place of sadness constantly. We don't live in a place of happiness. People are pursuing a mist. Actually, the Bible says that. Solomon said that. Everything is meaningless. It's like a chasing after the wind. And trying to chase happiness, trying to fill our lives with happiness, is, is like chasing the wind. So what brings joy? Uh, one thing it doesn't is, is that I, I know a guy, he's not a mate, but I know a bloke who's, who's one, at one point was in the top 10 richest people in Australia. This guy has a million dollars cash in his safe. He's got a safe in his house with a million bucks. I wanted to ask him, could I see it? But I didn't think that was appropriate. We're not that tight. I'm like, I want to see a million bucks cash. What does that look like? He has helicopters. I was chatting with him. And we were having, we were having dinner. There was a few of us. And, and he's just, and we're looking over on his back deck. We're looking over the expanse. I'm, for me, I can't, I can't deny the fact that I was, I was a little bit like, oh, tell me more. Tell me stuff where you've been in the world. Tell me about these business things that you've done. And that's, I just wanted to lap all that up. This guy has more than what any of us probably will ever see. And as the conversation went on, we got to talking about life and he knew I was a chaplain, we're sharing about this and that. And he goes, you know, Dave, my life is a train wreck. I'm like, oh, that's like, that's like the doorway that opens up for a preacher type person goes, there is the inn. Tell me. I wanted him to get the message. Tell me, you've got all of this. You've got the blah, 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 blah. How can your life possibly be a train wreck? And he talked about circumstances of his life. He said, you're right. You're, you're a messed up dude. I saw him only a few weeks ago. Nothing's changed for him. Nothing's changed. He's pushing 60, lonely reaching out for relationships that are going nowhere. It's harder, Jesus said, for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. What Jesus is saying there is not just, there's a special gate in Jerusalem that the camels have to really squeeze through. That's rot. What a load of... Anyway, don't get me started. What Jesus is saying there is that it is impossible... It's impossible for a rich man to get into the kingdom of God, Jesus says. But with God, all things are possible. God can make a camel go through the eye of the needle. Don't, whatever. God can make a rich man able to come into the kingdom of God. And how is that way? How does someone come into the kingdom of God? Through a door? What's the door? Jesus, the cross, creates the door for the rich man, for the poor man, for the happy lady, for the not-so-happy lady. I don't know. We're all the same. 
if your life's a train wreck, God can fix it. And that doesn't mean you're going to keep your million dollars. It doesn't mean you're going to keep your businesses. But it might. It might mean you go from a million to 20 million. Who knows? But when we're in God's hands, he's sovereign. He gets to decide what it's going to look like. Am I right? And so when we give our lives to the Lord, we are signing over the rights. And we say, you do with us whatever you will. Job says, naked I came into this world, naked I'm going out. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. There's a story of someone whose life became a train wreck, even before there were trains. Next one. Fullness of life. Let's keep going. Only comes through Jesus. These are the things that describe. The alternate option is a man's way. Let's keep going, Bo. That'll do. There's some words that kind of describe the normal living arrangement, isn't it? Do you get frustrated? Do you deal with unhappiness? Is there alienation, loneliness, sense of depression? You know, I think we're, we in Australia are wealthier than we've ever been before. The cost of living is high. Why? Because we've got, we've got plenty. We can afford to pay it. I'm speaking generally. It's popular. Some of us feel like we can't, but really, we do. There was one day I was mopping the floor. This would have been a, would have been a Wednesday because that used to be my thing. And I was mopping the floor, right? It's like mowing the grass. Just so you know, ladies, here's a little bit of insight. We're simple beings, all right? We're very simple people, and we are very happy doing stuff and just the mind freewheeling. You know that's true, because plenty of times, if you're in a marriage, you've spoken to the bloke and it's just not registered. It's not, he's not ignoring you. He's literally in that... Sitting on the ride on mow, I used to love it. Uh, happiness for a bloke. I'm speaking generally here, right? Maybe it's true for ladies too. I've never been a lady, so I can't say specifically. But one thing I know is it's one of those things that you're doing when you're, your mind is just enough engaged so that your heart, you just, you know, you know what I'm talking about. So this day I was mopping, and I, I had some sin in my life that I, that I knew wasn't right. I knew it wasn't right, but I was still had this habit going on. And I was just thinking about it. And I was annoyed at myself because I'm like, man, I can't get on top of this. I've got to stop it. But, geez, how do I do that? I'm already kind of committed. I'm like, this is my thinking. I'm, these are the thoughts. And I'm just, oh, I have to, this does not honour the Lord. It's not, you know, this does nothing. And this stuff comes out. There's plenty of stories of people around whose lives are destroyed because they kept trying to keep them, oh, I don't want it to come out. I need to, what am I going to do? This is my thinking while I'm mopping the floor. And straight into my mind popped a verse. 1 John 1 9. Remember that. 1 John 1 9. Who can say that? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Yeah. At some point in her life, Karen decided to memorise that verse. It was to a rap. Why do we do it in kids? Do you know, here's an aside one. I was once in an exam, a theological exam, as for theology, and I'm writing down, it says, God is love, God is love. Oh. Where does it say God is love? Somewhere in the Bible it says God is love. And this song came to my mind that I learnt in kindy. And so God bless those jive people who are investing the word of God in our children. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knows God. I think I started too high. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. I'm like, yes, beloved. Then I had to keep singing the song because I had, you know, you can't just duck me in. Let us love one another, First John 4, 7 and 8. Bingo. So I wrote down my thing and then I backed it up with scripture. And I said, get some of that, theology lecturer. <laughs> 1 John 1, 9. 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That just popped into my head. Why? Because at some point in my life, I chose to memorize and meditate on the word of God. So I had that grip on that scripture. And the Lord used it as a word to stab me right in the heart. And out of my mouth, this is all silent, right? Then out of my mouth just came, I think I just need to confess my sin. And then I laughed because I heard myself say that. It's so simple. So I stopped and I went, God, all right. I just laid it out. You know what's been going on. I've that, that, that. I'm not telling you because it's dealt with. Thank God. I just laid it out. I confessed my sin. And then I said, Lord, you told me that now I'm clean. And I am purified from all unrighteousness. Please help me. Please remind me of this moment right now with the mop in my hand of this. Next time that temptation happens, next time I go to make that phone call, remind me of this. I'm not doing that anymore. Next slide, please, Bo. We want to follow our own way, which involves our sinful, selfish desires. That stuff had ground in my life. I'd given that this particular issue ground in my life and it become a habit. I was like, I've got to stop it. Keep going, Bo, please. Next one. In Galatians, folks, if a Christian is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help him back onto the right path, remembering that next time it might be one of you who is in the wrong. As followers of Jesus being church, it's our job to call our brothers and sisters into line. But we do so humbly because we are just as capable of doing the same stuff. This is what sets us apart. This is what, by their love for one another, Jesus said, everyone will know that we're followers of him because we can be honest with each other. We can be straight up without any fear of offence and without taking offence just because someone was telling us something that we knew in our heart. Do you understand how this can work, the power? Next one, please, Bo. Confession. I just need to confess my sin. Dum, 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 dum. Oh, there it is, 1 John 1, 9. Next one, please, Bo. Turning back. Put some boundaries in place is what I did. Didn't take long for that to not even be an issue for me anymore. Just put some boundaries in place, ask the Holy Spirit basically to keep me from doing that remind me and then when he did remind me when God did remind me I stepped away if we're going to live an effective Christian life when those alarm bells go off step away turn back it's like oh I know I'm used to we understand you've heard the neuroscience now about understanding pathways in the brain basically you walk a path long enough you create it into a good solid well-worn path that's the habit. You, if you've done a bush walk, you walk in the bush and you walk according to the path. And after a while, that path gets so broad that, that the rangers come and they make that concrete, make it easy, you know? This is how our life works, in our brain and in our habits. So then we just go, whoa, turning back and going, I'm not walking in that path anymore. Jesus has purified. I'm not going to carry the guilt. I'm not, I don't have to carry the guilt of that anymore. I can tell you straight up now that I'm not going to wear that guilt. So we start walking and the enemy wants to keep coming at our heels. Remind us of who we are. Remind us of, it's not who we are. It's reminding us of what we did. But people keep believing of who we are. The fact is that that is all washed away because why? He purifies us from all of that. So we are completely clean. You can start every single day completely clean. And then if, you, if you're going to, we're going to get dirty during the day. We don't have to wait till the time tomorrow. We can literally stop mid-mop and confess our sin and God, don't let that, I'm walking away. This is it, the effective Christian life. Next one, please, Bo. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness to us. Next one, please, Bo. David said, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin, Selah. Do you know what that Selah means? It just means pause. 
just means let's just pause for a moment and think about the meaning of that. And so as we come to the end, I don't know what the next one is. Yes, beauty. Thank you, Bo. That's the last one. We're gonna, let's do that right now. Sila. Sila.